everyone. I'm Emily Chang, and you're listening to Bloomberg Studio 1.0. For this special pandemic edition, I logged on with Brian Chesky, Airbnb CEO and co-founder, both of us still sheltering in place at our Bay Area homes. It's been a rough few months for Airbnb. The global home-sharing juggernaut was sailing on top of the travel world, expanding into experiences, hotels, and transportation. Airbnb was also on the verge of filing paperwork to go public in what was expected to be the biggest stock listing of the year. Then came COVID-19, and travel came to a standstill. Airbnb had a billion dollars in cancellations almost immediately. There were angry hosts, layoffs, and then the economy went into a recession. With no end to the pandemic in sight and only uncertainty ahead, travelers are slowly starting to venture out again. But the captain of the Airbnb ship tells me travel will never be the same. Here's my conversation with Airbnb CEO and co-founder Brian Chesky. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on. I'd like to start by rewinding a little bit. Despite what was happening in China, the force with which the pandemic hit took so many of us, so many businesses by surprise. Take me back to the moment when you realized that this was going to massively disrupt your business and change the course of Airbnb's history. We have a pretty good sized business in China. So we got some early indicators in January that something was happening. But I don't think any of us could have imagined that what was going to happen in China was going to spread and was essentially going to lead to an entire global shutdown. Um, Late February, things started looking uh, concerning. Our growth basically um, went to flat or below uh, previous year's levels. And we were preparing for a crisis like 9-11 or 2008. We said, you know, this, this stuff happens every once in a while. You need to be prepared. But none of us were prepared for really a once-in-a-century crisis. Our industry, travel, has described COVID as as big as 9-11 in 2008 many times over, something more akin to World War II. And when that happened, it felt like I was working on our S1. We were going to file it March 31. And it felt like 12 years of success and, you know, had all these things and life was great. And suddenly, in, you know, you build something in 12 weeks and you lose most of it in four weeks. I can't quite describe what that feels like. And it just felt like everything the company broke. I felt like a captain of a ship and a torpedo just hit the side of the ship. We were the tip of the sphere. We were felt immediately. Two and a half billion people were shut down. And this became an existential crisis. As an industry, we had to stare into the abyss and we didn't know if and when it would recover. Now, travel came basically to a standstill. And in many cases, people didn't want to travel or they couldn't travel legally. It was illegal to rent an Airbnb. What was the lowest point for you? The darkest hour. There were so many dark hours. That's the old like quote attributed Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, just keep going. And man, um, I will tell you, the first dark moment was when we had about a billion dollars of cancellations from guests. All of a sudden, we get a huge number of cancellations. We weren't prepared for them. And they're calling customer service. Well, customer service call centers are shut down. So now we have to handle a huge amount of volume of cancellations working from home. So anyone that wanted cancellation, we offer an extenuating circumstance policy. We refunded them. But then suddenly, there was an uproar. Hosts were really upset. And over the last 10 years, 
we've had a pretty good relationship with hosts. And then suddenly there were like viral videos of hosts being really upset with us. We took $250 million of our own money and we sent it to host. It was the most we could afford to do during our darkest financial hour. And we're just completely scrambling. And I think that at that moment, not even knowing if and when people would travel again, I mean, that was pretty ominous, pretty harrowing. And that's the moment, like, I think a leader has to step up. You also had to cut 25% of the company and you gave, you know, an incredibly generous severance package. Your note to the team, I could, I could feel the, the pain in there. You know, talk to me about going through that process, cutting 25% of your staff. It was the saddest thing I've ever done in my life, at least professionally. And we weren't sure if we'd have to do a layoff and we had to face the hard truth that travel, we did not know when it was gonna return. And we knew that when travel returned, it would be different. It would never be the same. And it's been really hard. Um, you know, I, having to say goodbye to 2000 people was incredibly sad. And now every day I told our team, we come to work for them because I need to make sure that the work they created will not just disappear in vain, that we're gonna carry it forward. So let's talk about the future. You mentioned you don't think travel will ever be the same. What no, does travel look like? I don't know for sure, but here's what I'll say. Travel will be back, but it will look different. For now, here's what's gonna happen. People are starting to say they wanna travel again. They don't wanna cross borders. They don't wanna to go to dense urban cities. They don't wanna wait in line and they don't want to travel for business. What they want to do is they want to get in cars and they want to drive not more than two, 300 miles and stay in a home with people they care about. People are going to rediscover small communities around them. That travel is not going away, but it's going to be balanced. So instead of just Paris, it's going to be Petaluma, it's going to be Pittsburgh, it's going to be small communities. People are going to get in their cars, they're going to discover these communities. It'll be more experiential, it'll be more authentic, more local. That's right, Airbnb is a global company. What trends are you seeing in Europe, in Asia, versus the United States? So United States has been very, very strong. We've seen a temporary recovery in the United States. Europe, most of Europe, we've seen a recovery, a temporary recovery, other than the United Kingdom. United Kingdom, I think, is still locked down until July 1. But France, Germany, um, Italy, Spain, you're seeing really strong growth. Um, Latin America is not recovered, and Asia is starting to recover, but not yet recovered. So North America and Europe are extremely strong. Latin America, Asia, kind of a bit behind. Now, given new waves of the virus, you know, and, and you saying that Airbnb certainly isn't out of the woods yet, what are you most worried about? What is keeping you up at night? Well, I mean, we're absolutely not out of the woods. There could be a second wave. It could be pent-up demand. And also, we have other issues, like we have so much more demand around than we thought, so now customer service wait times are long. So we have new issues. So there's always a challenge. And so I ultimately think we need to be totally focused on serving our community, getting back to our roots, back to basics of belonging, connection, and rebuild our company. And if we can rebuild our company, then maybe we can hire some of the people back that we lost. How much do you think getting back to normal depends on a vaccine or even then things are gonna be different? There are gonna be different. Travel as you knew it is over. You're never ever gonna see it again. I'll just say that right there. And I think business travel is really, really gonna be hit for a while. I think a lot of people are realizing they can do meetings on Zoom. They're rethinking a lot of the conventions and conferences. People are gonna rediscover the outdoors. For example, there's 400 national parks in the country. Most Americans have never been a national park. 
Most Americans don't even know they live within 200 miles of national park. I think one prediction, national parks are gonna be in. People are gonna travel a lot more outdoors. These are things that are gonna happen. And the other thing that I think is gonna happen is travel and living are gonna to blend together. What do I mean? Well, if you can do your job from home, then if you can work from home, you could theoretically work from any home, anywhere in the world, so long as you're in the right time zone. And so what you're gonna to start to see is not just travel redistribution, but you might see, and no one can say for sure, population redistribution. People may start moving to smaller towns and communities, or they may say, I'm gonna live a few months here, a few months there. Why couldn't you if you can do your job behind your computer? And so we're gonna start to see a real fundamental rethinking of travel and probably even urban living. And I can't say how it's gonna play out for sure, but these are some trends that seem pretty obvious to me. Meantime, in the midst of a pandemic, you've launched online experiences. So you can get an Olympic athlete lesson. You can participate in virtual pride festivities. How popular have these experiences been and how big could this be in terms of being part of your business going forward? I think that experiences could be as big or probably bigger than our home's business in the long run. It's going to take a lot longer, but it's possibly a bigger idea. The biggest asset in your life is not your home, it's your time. And just like COVID is going to, I, like restaurants are shut down, sports are shut down, we're going to see is a whole new era of entertainment. And I don't think the, um, it's not just going to be um, streaming. People are going to want interactive experiences with one another. And if, if all recent surveys suggest humans are more lonely than they've ever been in the longest of time. Instead of just going to a restaurant or watching something at home on Netflix, maybe there's a third thing you can do. And if you don't want to leave your home, you can actually have an experience or you can do the same thing with a baker or an artist, some creative person. And so I think it's going to take a long time. I don't know how big online experience will be. It is our fastest growing product. It's done about a million dollars in booking so far with only 400 experiences. So you can give that, give that a sense of, of proportion. Um, but I think in the long run, the overall category, it's going to be a really, really big category. It's, it's, it's going to take decades to play out, though. So given that you've made this investment, you've scaled back on hotels, transportation, and some of these other things that you were pursuing, how does that change Airbnb's overall wider strategy? Like, what is your vision for Airbnb now? I think it's not much about travel. We have travel, but it's about belonging connection. It's about hosting. So we're really focused on the business of hosting regular people that want to offer experiences, they want to offer homes, and I think down the road they can offer many more things. So I think you'll probably see Airbnb even go beyond travel. For example, um, nearly 20% of our nights booked are for people staying in homes longer than 30 days. And as I said before, because of like working from home, people now will want extended living. What we sell is connection, and when it works out, you might feel like you belong in the community you visit. That's what it is. It's much more focused, much more about where it came from, and we're going to expand from there. You're listening to my conversation with Brian Chesky, Airbnb CEO and co-founder. Up next, with stakeholders anxiously waiting for a public listing, could that still happen in 2020? I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Airbnb was going to go public this year. You had the S1 ready. It was going to be potentially the biggest stock listing of the year. You haven't ruled out going public this year. 
Where are you with that? We were ready to file March 31, so we'll be ready to file again. And the real question is, when's the world ready for us? And are they ready for us this year? Are they ready for us next year? Hard to say. I will say that um, we're recovering faster than we thought, but I also don't want to have false hope. You know, you know, hope for the best, plan for the worst. The market seems like it's recovering, but again, there could be a double dip. So we're going to kind of play it by year. I want a little more data. We're still a little early in this crisis for me to feel clear enough about how this is going to play out. So we're not rolling it out this year, um, but we're definitely not committing to a timeline right now. So how likely is it that it would happen this year? And how do you weigh those uncertainties? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't want to speculate or give a percentage. Um, so I can just say it's on the table, but we're definitely not committing to it. The, what, um, you know, the fundamental questions are, does travel continue to recover? Number two, is it a sustainable recovery or is it just pent up demand? Number three, does the market have an appetite for companies listing that lost a bit of appetite after you know the, the, the IPOs last year and then we work like people kind of lost appetite a little bit. It seems like appetite's coming back. These are really fundamental questions. Um, and if, that, if, if those things start to align, you start opening up a bit of a window. The other thing I just point out is there does seem to be an acceleration of adoption for Airbnb right now. So this is an opportunity for us. And, um, and it's probably just because it's like what people are just going with what the available options are. A lot of hotels aren't open yet. So we also don't know how sustainable recovery is. Is it a temporary mix shift or not? So these are things that we're going to be following. Now, the timing of Airbnb going public means a lot to employees who made a bet on Airbnb's future for their future. And I'm wondering if you've thought through this, you know, why aren't you already public? Should you have gone out earlier? Was that a mistake? I think we're going to look back on this period and when we go public, I think it will be successful. And I think that people will be really happy. And I do think we'll be public sooner than later. I just don't know what sooner means. But I mean, I, I actually think it, we'll look at, back at it and hopefully we'll play it out well. I mean, I just want you to know, we have a real responsibility to our stakeholders. It means a lot to me that employees have a significant part of their net worth in our stock, that we have shareholders have held the stock for nearly a decade. And so it's really important to me that they get liquidity. But I also think that, you know, we're going to have a really great year ahead of us. So I think things could work out for people. I wonder if Airbnb expanded too much, too far, too fast. And if hindsight's 2020 now, I know nobody was prepared for a pandemic, but do you think that was a miscalculation? I think that we were a little unfocused and we strayed from our roots and we strayed from connection, belonging and hosting. And we were pursuing a lot of things. These were worthy things. Somebody once told me you can do everything you want in life, not at the same time. Well, when you get really successful, you tend to think you can do everything at the same time. I think that's a really big mistake that a lot of founders made. And I tried to do probably too many things at once. It wasn't as clear until COVID happened and we had the discipline. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Our US business, we had the same volume business as last year, but we cut a run rate of nearly $1 billion in marketing. We are not doing any paid advertising, online marketing at all. It doesn't mean it wasn't effective, we shouldn't have done it, but it really makes you rethink how much do you need to do and can we be more scrappy? So it, the company I think was inherently 
um, probably more profitable than we thought it was because you don't really ever know until you stop doing everything. And then you start to see what you really need and what is essential. So it was this like moment where you get to look at it with clear eyes. And I think we all looked at it with fresh eyes and realized we need to be leaner we need to get back to our basics and we need to be focused. And then hopefully that more focused company will grow even faster and then we can launch new things and then we can scale, expand, be big again, but in a more focused way. And then hopefully hire the people back that we lost. This is my conversation with Airbnb co-founder and CEO, Brian Chesky. Coming up, in the midst of new momentum behind the Black Lives Matter movement, Airbnb is setting new diversity goals. Chesky says it's time for other tech companies to step up. I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. Protests have been happening around the world in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. You have made new commitments, set new goals for Airbnb. Um, that 20% of your board and executive team will be people of color by the end of next year. Your teams are being given recruitment and retention goals that they have to meet by 2025. This sounds like quotas, which have been controversial because the critics would say this is forcing people to hire people they wouldn't hire otherwise. Why do you feel like this is the best way to achieve what you want to achieve? Well, I mean, there's many things we're doing. Um, we're not just um, identifying targets. Um, but I mean, I think diversity doesn't just happen. It's got to be intentional. Diversity does not come to you. The world's not going to come to you. You want to make a more just, equitable world. You don't just wish for it. You got to work towards it. And you got to sometimes do things that are a little unpopular and you need to press against it. We can either choose to be a mirror to the society that exists, or we can choose a different path to lead our way forward. And I think that starts with looking in the mirror and saying, we're not where we need to be and being honest about that and saying, okay, we're going to do a lot of work to get there. And so I'm not apologetic. I'm not going to apologize about trying to step into the future, even if it's going to be really hard. And I'll just tell you one other story. In 2016, there was a hashtag that would trend on Twitter. It was called hashtag Airbnb while black. And it was black guests, especially in the United States, describing being discriminated against when they were trying to book a home. Now, I will tell you, as one of three white founders in their mid-20s to start Airbnb, it did not occur to me at the time, I was naive, that our product would be uh, used in that way. Had I grew up in other circumstances, then I might have thought that. So this was a wake-up call. And so we've been working for the last four years. And over the last two years, we've been working with Color of Change, leading civil rights groups and privacy groups. And we have this vision. We don't just want to measure anecdotes, complaints of discrimination. We want to measure systemic bias and discrimination on our platform. Uh, to my knowledge, no internet company has ever tried to measure bias and discrimination on their platform through um, broad collection of data. What is the data? Is this still happening and how much? It was a very low bar. We asked everyone on Airbnb to attest that they will not discriminate other people on the basis of race, religion, orientation, gender. Um, and you know what? 1.3 million people chose not to check that box and not to participate. And I think we're better off because they weren't really committed to what we're committed to. I think we're in the beginning of a journey. 
I hope you're ha you have me back on the show and I can tell you about the progress we've made. I do commit that we're gonna publicly report our progress. And that, by the way, is some of the best ways to make progress when you know you're on the hook. And if you don't make progress, you have to tell the world. And I'm not gonna to wanna to come back on your show and put out the data and say, Emily, I've made no progress. So that's some pretty good motivation. You know, we internet companies have, this is a watershed moment. And I think what's happening now is we're realizing we, the platforms, need to take more responsibility for the content that's created on our platforms. This is something that seems completely obvious. Now, the extent that you want to take that responsibility is going to vary by platform, but we better not think that it's up to government to decide what responsibility we should take because by the time they enforce, the damage is going to be done. We have to be in partnership. And so I think that we need to lead the way. The best thing for shareholders are companies, I think, who have consumers believe they're doing the right thing. This is both, I think, the right thing to do, but I also think it's quite self-interest for shareholders to do this as well. In New York, you just settled a major lawsuit with New York City and agreed to hand over personal data on hosts. This is one of your biggest domestic markets. It could cost you thousands of listings in the city. How will this experience in New York change your relationship with other cities and your strategy going forward? Well, New York has been a 10 year long um, debate and it's been the biggest holdout of any city in the country. Almost every major city we've come to agreement. We collect hotel tax and we're one of the largest collectors of hotel tax in the world. New York has been a market we have not had resolution until now. I think what COVID did is it led to a big reset moment, kind of for everyone, right? Like every, everything kind of felt like it got reset a bit. And so suddenly I think we in cities took a fresh look at all this. And we've come to an agreement that I think was months in the making. It's going to lead to a smaller Airbnb for now in New York, but I think we can rebuild from that. And I think it's a salute, an outcome that we all feel like we can live with. Meantime, it all comes back to China. You are one of the few US tech companies that still has a physical footprint in China. Google, Facebook, Twitter have all left or given up. How important is, is China still to you and how much of a setback is the pandemic to your ambitions there? It doesn't change our ambitions. It does change the size of the business for now. China's hit very hard and China has not recovered as much as other countries. And so our ambitions the same, that we wanna help people connect in every country in the world. We don't wanna cut out 1.4 billion people. I mean, that really wouldn't get you very far um, to, to bring people together. Um, but it has made us take a longer horizon because it's pretty, uh, it, it's been definitely impacted. And you know, we're gonna be, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna be pacing ourselves. So you're still committed to maintaining the business there given yeah. the challenges yeah. and the risks? Oh yeah. Yeah, we're committed to remaining in China and it's just gonna be a different pace than it was before. Given all of these changes, what you've experienced a pandemic that has changed the course of history and your history, Airbnb is bound to be a different company than it was going to be otherwise. What does Airbnb look like to you a year from now and five years from now? I think a year from now, people are gonna look at Airbnb and instead of seeing just real estate, they're gonna see hosts. They're gonna say Airbnb is not just a marketplace, Airbnb is a community. And what they sell aren't just ways to save money while you travel, what they're selling really is connection. Now these can be words, they can sound like empty marketing. I wanna acknowledge that. I gotta prove that, I gotta deliver on that. I, don't, I, I probably don't even deserve to use those words, except you're asking about what I hope to be able to say. So I hope a year from now, I don't even have to say those words. I hope you say that about us because we've earned that. 
And in five years from now, I hope that we go so much further that we've created millions of entrepreneurs. You know, more than half our entrepreneurs, by the way, are women. It's totally different than like other sharing economy companies that are dominated by uh, men on the supply side. And I think we can provide economic opportunity for entrepreneurs all over the world, an entire creative class of people. I think we can get into, we can help create educational experiences. I mean, a lot of travel is educational. I think we can transcend. And ultimately, I think if we're successful, I think that you're going to connect Airbnb to feeling like you're a little bit more connected to what, to other people. I think I want it to be real connections, not just like, um, like digital connections. All right, Brian Chesky, thank you for making the connection with us today. It's been great to have you here on the show. Bloomberg Studio 1.0 is produced and edited by Kevin Hines. Our executive producer is Candy Cheng. Our managing editor is Danielle Culbertson, with special help from Mallory Abelhausen. I'm Emily Chang, your host and executive producer. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.